What you think you are, you are not. Your excitement is no better than the swarming of ants. They are what they are. That was the answer of Ukraine's president when he was quizzed by Fox News about the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion and the atrocities it's accused of. Azov Battalion, that is said to be Nazi-affiliated organization operating as a militia in your country, uh, said to be committing their own atrocities. Azov was one of those many battalions. They are what they are. Well, I'm joined live now by our correspondents, Don Quarter reporting from Moscow, and RT's Roman Kostarev, who is currently in Donetsk. Don, quite an odd reaction, I would suggest, from the Ukrainian president to the question about neo-Nazi groups operating in the country. Tell us more. Well, you know, Fox News really looked like he, it put the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, on the spot by asking him what the American people should know about these atrocities that the neo-Nazi battalion Azov is committing. His response? They are what they are. The Ukrainian president seemed to try to justify also that statement by saying that they're now part of the official Ukrainian armed forces. So let's take a listen to what he said. Everything uh, from uh, all the components of those volunteer battalions later uh, were um, incorporated into the, the military of Ukraine. Those uh, Azov uh, fighters are no longer self-established uh, uh, group. They are a component of the Ukrainian military. Preaching among the dead Zelensky. When you're hashtag dumb, you're dumb, hashtag Zelensky, hashtag Asov, hashtag fighters, hashtag incorporated, hashtag in the hashtag Ukrainian, hashtag military, the stupidity of this guy impresses me to the highest point. The West chooses it to its measure. From the lost art of resurrection, initiation, secret chambers and the quest for the other world by Freddie Silver, from Phoenicia to China, the pagan world celebrated the hero who crosses into the other world as a dead man, only to rise as a god. And yet the benefits of penetrating the veil into the other world were beyond belief. Proclus himself describes how, having overcome the fear of the unknown, the prize that awaits is magnificent. Having thoroughly purified him, the Hierophant now discloses to the initiated a region all over illuminated and shining with a divine splendor. The cloud and thick darkness are dispersed, and the mind, which before was full of disconsolate obscurity, now emerges, as it were, into day, replete with light and cheerfulness, out of the profound depth into which it had been plunged. Autopsia. This point in the initiation was called autopsia, seeing things with one's own eyes. If you successfully passed these tests you achieved a greater degree of self-consciousness, not to mention omnipotence and omniscience. Initiates who experienced living resurrection and successfully rose at dawn walked back into daily life with a sense of higher purpose, greater moral integrity, and reduced fear, practicing what they preached among the dead. In ancient China it was normal practice for holy people to take flight from the body, fueled by alchemical narcotics, to wander through celestial spheres and sacred mountains. They even had an epithet describing sages who'd mastered living resurrection, ascended to heaven at the height of the day. The founder of Taoism, Lazu, himself regularly left his body to go for a stroll at the origin of things. Seven days later the rough soul returns.
he regains consciousness as though from a pleasant sleep and describes his other world journey, how he crossed the Chinvat bridge, bridge of separation, to be met by angelic beings who remark, Welcome Arda Viraf, although you have come when it is not your time. Viraf also mentions traveling along a seemingly endless bridge and coming to a turbulent river, swollen by tears of lamentation shed by the living for those departed. This point is crossed by all souls, some easily, some with great difficulty. Viraf's guide angel explains, tell the world upon your return that, when you are in the world, make no lamentation and weeping without cause, because it creates so much more difficulty and harm to the souls of your departed. Which allowed them to see beyond the veil during initiation. In Greece, initiation into the Eleusinian mysteries fell under the tutelage of the goddess Demeter, who is portrayed alongside a bundle of grain, often depicted in purple. The cup contained a narcotic, most likely a distillation of ergot, a psychoactive fungus that takes on the appearance of a purple mold on cereal crops. The administering of narcotics appears to have been an art in itself. And in contrast to pure shamanism, a low dosage was all that was required to deliver a calming state so that the hallucinogen became the vehicle into the spirit world rather than a device that influenced what initiates saw when they reached their destination. If one of the purposes behind initiation was to experience the light body, the reconnection of the soul with the source and, hopefully, its return to the body with insights, it stands to reason that the secret teachings leading you to that point required a privileged group that constituted a society apart. Jesus the Catholicized Hero. Eow, God-Man, Nailed to a Tree. Witaba, God-Man, Nailed to a Tree, and Symbolized by a Crucifix. Yggdrasil, the world tree, to which initiates were said to be nailed after successfully completing initiation into the mysteries. Regardless of whether they were inventions serving a moral purpose or real-life individuals, and many cultures assert they were real, these heroes were merely reenacting the regenerative cycle of nature. Global traditions show again and again how the rebirth of the sun as king was celebrated for three days after the winter solstice, when his accouchement with the Queen of Heaven, the Celestial Virgin, brought forth the infant saviour in the first minutes after midnight on December 24th. Indeed the sun does appear to stand still on the same place along the horizon the three days around the solstice before reversing its course. The light overcomes the dark of winter and the rebirth of life and land is ensured for yet another cycle. From Native American rites of passage to the pilgrimages of Chinese seekers, the oldest rituals around the globe followed a near-identical prescription. Typically the quest began in a remote location, a place of solitude conducive to inner contemplation, followed by a period of sensory deprivation inside a secluded environment where, immersed in the cosmic world, initiates became aware of the purpose behind the universe they inhabit. Having arrived at a state of self-realization, they discovered the divine within themselves and returned to the body with a more informed view of doctrines to be adopted in daily life. During their journeys into the other world, initiates described being met by shining beings, shown their origins before incarnation, given special knowledge, and offered guidance concerning the path they'd chosen in this particular lifetime. Upon descending the mountain and returning to the tribe suitably enlightened, each individual was declared a newborn one. Clarity of Vision 
As a mark of his newfound clarity of vision and spiritual resurrection, the individual was bar-ted before entering into meditation for four days, eating sparingly, and avoiding meat for several months around the period of initiation. He was also encouraged, after marriage, to help transmit the esoteric teachings to others. Initiatory rites consisting of a simulated death and resurrection were generally offered to youths reaching the point of puberty. Persia and the Cult of Mithra. According to Avestan literature this high peak marks the location where wisdom is received by a person in a receptive state of mind. Returning pilgrims were described as possessing Gvarina, divine glory. Zoroaster sought and attained illumination at Mount Ushidarina where he mastered the secrets of nature. His disciple Osmo Convent was likewise initiated, whereupon he too attained spiritual wisdom. One of the fruits of these insights came in the form of the Avesta, the sacred literature of Zoroastrianism. Mitra appears in Vedic literature around 2000 BC as a rejuvenating god, often paired with a female counterpart named Verena, forming the principle of paired opposites like the sun and moon. He was a solar chariot god, partook in a sacred meal, and his act of self-sacrifice was an example for others on the quest to find redemption for the soul and thus victory over its earthbound existence. Mitra's symbolic color was red, the color of twilight prior to sunrise, and every December 25th he was reborn from a rock. A bright light in the sky heralded the event, drawing shepherds to the location whereupon they are informed of the importance of the event by a divine messenger. Other unspecified gods are also in attendance. His life was then celebrated a second time at the spring equinox. Mitra was so influential throughout Persia that he was absorbed into the teachings of Zoroaster as Mithra. The philosopher Porphyry of Tyre writes that temples associated with this cult were mirror images of the original grotto consecrated to Mithra somewhere in the mountains of Persia. Porphyry also notes how, during initiation, the candidate was presided by the moon or a lunar deity, which itself was equated with the cow or a bee, as were the priestesses in attendance who were addressed as bees. Preparation began with baptism followed by severe discipline of the body, sometimes by as much as eight different types of trials in which aspirants demonstrated their courage, mental fortitude, and mindfulness. All these tribulations were intended to facilitate the candidate's peaceful regeneration in paradise. When they successfully re-emerged from the door of the cave or chamber, initiates were deemed reborn from a heifer, declared resurrected, and thereafter represented by a bee. Such traditions must have endured for a considerable time because evidence of their practice was discovered by Alexander the Great when he vanquished Persepolis in 330 BC. The cult of Mithras vied with early Christianity on equal terms for 500 years before one of its adherents, the Emperor Constantine, replaced the hero of the story with Jesus, at a stroke elevating this newcomer from mere mortal into resurrected God-man. And yet hundreds of years before Christianity, Mithraism already embraced the theology and rituals now cherished by Christianity, among them the imbibing of wine as a metaphor of sacrificial blood, the partaking of a small loaf of bread or wafer bearing the sign of a cross, the Eucharist, and a last, sacred supper. Much of what is known about Mithraism comes from late Greek and Roman accounts in the eastern Mediterranean and from temples in southern Italy that survived Christian persecution.